Welcome to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics. We ask all the questions you are dying to know, from dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Now please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Virgin Territory. Uh, today we have with us Chelsea. Uh, welcome, Chelsea. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Apparently, I'm very prone to accidents today, but that's a story for another time. Um, so I'm so happy that you joined us today. Uh, and like always, we'll start with if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Yeah. So my name is Chelsea Morgan. My pronouns are they, them, or anything gender neutral also works. Um, I'm a sexuality and kink educator, um, and my focus is on uh, bringing justice and inclusion and uh, to like sexuality and kink worlds. Uh, I'm also an intimacy coordinator for film and TV, um, which is related, but also sort of a separate career. Um, but I educate uh, mostly on like people with intersecting identities. So I specialize in kink populations, LGBTQ people, non-monogamous people, neurodivergence, and um, what it means to sort of hold all those identities as a person of color. So, yeah. That's quite a big range of, of um, not, not only different people, different identities and different works that you do, uh, but there is one that I wanted to jump into first because I've never heard of it before, um, and that's the intimacy coordinator. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a relatively new role in the world of television and film, but essentially the intimacy coordinator's role is to first and foremost maintain the consent and boundaries of actors during the filming of intimate scenes and how intimacy is defined can be sex scenes specifically, but it could also be just like character dynamics that have to do with um, relation, just romantic relationships or even like um, intimacy between, you know, people of different races, sensitive content, cultural intimacy, things like that. Um, but essentially what we do is from pre-production to post-production, just make sure that uh, we have protocols in, in place to uh, use deloaded and desexualized language and to make sure the scene happens in a way that respects everyone's consent and boundaries. And that's from the actors to the crew, to the editors and post-production, um, et cetera. That's very interesting. I, I always wondered because when you see, um, the different scenes that you see on, on movies on any type of movie and you see, uh, I don't know, teenagers doing their first kiss or you see a very intense set scene on a movie that's not about set, so it's not a porn. Um, I always wonder how do the actors feel about that scene and, and how comfortable were they in that moment? Yeah, um, and I mean, often, especially if the scene that you're watching is from like five years ago, even that's kind of generous, but from five years ago before, you know, it really is sort of a 50-50 shot. You can hope that they had a good director or a good crew. But even then, um, on the I think the best set, even an intimacy coordinator was always necessary just because it was still kind of up to the actor's devices to sort of navigate the scene and, and navigate choreographing the scene based on the script and um, 
they didn't really have like a third party to go to sort of manage the power dynamics that exists in the room. So um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of nuance, but luckily now, if you're looking at something, especially something made by like a major studio, there's definitely someone in that room making sure that they're okay, which is wonderful. That's really nice. Um, so obviously there's this other part of your uh, career that you talk about um, different identities and intersecting identities within kink and other spaces. What got you into getting into that work? Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's just questions I had about me. <laughs> They're just identities that I held or didn't even know that I held at the time. Um, and just curiosities, things that I wanted to know about. And I'm a very like research-minded person. I love doing research. I don't love academia, but I love learning. And so I find myself in academia a lot. So I went to, um, essentially I joined a certification program to be a certified sexuality educator with the intention of just learning what I don't know and trying to figure out something in between and, and really just with the intention of helping myself and then I realized how many other people I can help by just sharing the knowledge that I learned about my own identities and acknowledging that like there is nuance in the fact that there are so many different things uh intersecting and creating my unique experience right the space of kink is is one that is very interesting because there's a lot of power dynamics that are created on purpose because that's part of the kink. Um, but that creates a very interesting space for people of color and for people that have very different um, identities and how to navigate that. What would be what your advice to start dipping your toes in that area as a, as a person of color? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, first and foremost, really, sort of do the work to get to know yourself and to get to know your own boundaries surrounding your race. And I think that you know, anyone who, who talks about, I mean, I don't know about anyone, but a lot of people who talk about your entry into kink, they really do ask you to focus on like finding, at least like searching for where your limits might exist, where your boundaries might exist so that you have um, sort of a baseline of what you're looking for when you enter the community, but very, um, it's not very often that on those like yes, no, maybe lists or on during that exploration, people talk about um, racialized boundaries and racialized power dynamics. You might you might like the idea of of a power dynamic that puts you in a submissive role, but what if there's um, a racial dynamic on top of that? What does that look like for you? Um, so I think just asking yourself questions that you might not have thought to ask and talking to kink educators that are people of color and asking them those questions, I think would be a great place to start. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And it's also something to think about in terms of your lived experiences outside of kink, or if I give you an example of when you're walking around the world and someone says to you that, diminishes your identity, your cultural identity, for example, you can take that and have a pretty good assumption that within this kink space world, that's something that you need to pay attention to because you may want to set that as a boundary. For example, I don't like if someone is 
assuming that my Latinidad, my 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 identity as a Latina woman is something to be sexualized and something to be hot and oh that's exotic. That that is definitely a hard limit um in any relationship that I that I explore. So things like that are the the things are very difficult to navigate in that space as well. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And um, I think often people don't realize sort of sub subconsciously that they're doing that as well. Like you might encounter partners who um, are like sexualizing that and didn't realize that that's where those, you know, feelings or where those thoughts were coming from. Um, and I just think that just goes to show um, just how much nuance there is to, to racial dynamics, especially in this country. Um, and how there's nothing that we do as humans that is not racialized um, and because that's just how we've defined each other in, in, in one way. Um, yeah, so just asking yourself, okay, well, this is my identity. So how does this play a part into this area of my life specifically? And then just kind of repeating that question with the different identities you hold. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Taking a step back, because I think I jumped the, the, the ship a little too soon. Uh, no pun intended for ship. Uh, but I wanted to take a step back. And for those listeners that don't know a lot about kink, um, can you give us a definition of kink versus BDSM versus fetishization? Ooh, and I don't want to say that word again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so... I mean, there are a lot of different definitions for all of those words that people use. Me personally, I use kink as an umbrella term um, for sort of any, in, in sort of two different ways. One, kink can be an identity. You can you can identify as kinky. Um, you can identify as someone who belongs to the kink community. But kink in itself, I think, is any um, sort of action, erotic or otherwise, that would be put into like the sexually deviant category. Um, so just outside of the sort of the cis heteropatriarchal vanilla world, you could argue has a place in kink. Um, however, BDSM specifically, uh, I use the compound acronym definition, so bondage and discipline, dominant submission and sadism and masochism. Um, so any activity that falls under that compound acronym, which uh, usually includes a lot of very specific uh types of power dynamics, very specific roles, um, and its own sort of culture and best practices. And then uh, a fetish, specifically, I define um, a fetish as essentially a, a fascination with a particular body part or a particular um, actions, a particular bit of physicality or um, something that the, can be worn on the body. Um, I think that people often differentiate kink from fetish by saying that fetishes have to be in the sexual encounter, but I don't, that is not the original definition or not how it's used most often. Um, I don't think fetishes always have to be in the sexual encounter for someone to be satisfied, but it is something that is like a particular fascination. Yeah, that. I, I agree a hundred percent. So why it's exploring kink and exploring your own self 
that way important in your point of view? Um, I mean, I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing as sort of exploring any other part of your identity. I think it's just getting to know more about your body, how to um, like what it enjoys, what it doesn't enjoy, how it interacts with your mind. It's about uh, sort of body mind connection. Um, it's about also like playing with the roles and the dynamics that society like puts on us and like taking control of it as well and saying like this is the role that because of my identity society has put me in how can I how can I turn that on its head and do I like the feeling of that um so I think it's just as important as getting to know yourself in any other way it's just uh, finding ways to expand uh your own knowledge of sort of who you are and the ways that you like to interact with the world and with other people. Yeah, that that's a very good point. Um, so going back to, we were talking about your different identities and, and who, how do you navigate the world with those identities and mixing that up with um, kink in other outside of vanilla world explorations, if you will. Um, why is justice and re restorative justice and inclusivity framework so critical in this field? I think, uh, and it's going to be similar to the last answer. I think it's just because it's it's critical in every field. Um, the at the core of all of the different justice frameworks that exist, and there are so many of them, is just this concept of of humanity. This concept of looking at people as fundamentally human and valuing the inherent worth that is there, um, valuing sort of the inherent trauma that is being human because it is a traumatic experience, um, regardless of how you, what identities you hold, um, and valuing the care that comes from just seeing other people as fully human. And so specifically in like the kink world, thinking about how important it is that you acknowledge the full humanity of your of the person you're playing with or the people that you're playing with because that also means acknowledging the full breadth of their consent and how it can change acknowledging the full breadth of of the interaction everything that might be contributing to whatever feelings or dynamics are existing in the room um and allowing but it also means doing the same thing for yourself it also means allowing self-compassion it also means that if there's something that you and this is in kink, but also just in life, if there's something that you really thought you would enjoy, something that you put a lot of stock into or held central to your identity that just does not work for you today because a trauma response came up. Um, instead of like the shame that might come with it, bringing in justice allows you to, to, to feel the full breadth of that and to have compassion for it and to sort of just like walk through it knowing that you're supported um, if there's, if it's a fully like justice centered space. And I think there's something really freeing about that and just really just fundamentally human. Um, and yeah, I think that's my answer. Right. Um, and, and you bring up a, a really good point about part of seeing the humanity in others is seeing the humanity in yourself and having that that self-compassion like you said and that that is something that a lot of people need to understand more of don't beat yourself up about 
your response or um, your the way that you act, not, I mean, you'd beat yourself up if you're being an ass, but that's a different story. Um, but if you're, if you're having a response to a stimulus that is not what you were expecting, because like you said, a trauma response, or you weren't just, you weren't in the game because you had a really shitty time at work or anything like that, give your, cut yourself some slack and give yourself the same compassion that you will give your playmates if they were having a rough time. Treat yourself like you would treat your best friend. It's one thing that is very important. And kink play doesn't start and end with the the scene or that that negotiation, that humanization of your play partner starts at that negotiation point, even, even if it's someone that you've never met before because you you're trying to see them as who they are and their breadth of experience and making sure that 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 moment will be pleasurable for them and for you as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And, and thinking about also what that sort of comfort and what that compassion can do for the full experience. Um, Like, I feel like this, this world is, is such that, it's hard to feel sort of completely comfortable or completely safe. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about how safety doesn't necessarily exist. It's kind of like a vision, something that we all aspire to, but isn't necessarily possible. Um, but I think the justice brings us closer to, to safety. It brings us a little bit closer to that space. And when we get there, we can actually feel what it's like to be the, the full breadth of who we are, like feel what it's like to be completely in our bodies or completely in our minds um, and to interact with people from like a genuine place as opposed to from a sort of defensive place that we kind of have to navigate this world with. Right. And that's part of something that you can do uh, as part of your talk, your initial talk with someone. Uh, You can see what their needs are outside of the specific play moment or the play scene and walk into what their aftercare looks like for both them and you as well. Um, So we've mentioned a lot of different words and and I want to be conscious of not everybody that listens to us understands. Um, So let's walk them, let's walk our listeners through what a beginner may expect. out of a play scene, out of negotiation and all that. So how would you recommend someone do a negotiation? Yeah, um, I mean, especially if it's, if you're very new to kink, um, the process of negotiating, which essentially is just having a conversation about your boundaries, your limits, what you like, what you don't like with a potential play partner. Um, And if you're very new to kink, that can be such an exciting conversation that you can forget what to say. which is valid. (laughs) So I think um, it would be, you know, worth it to, to write things down, to, to go through and look up yes, no, maybe lists, which are just lists of different kinky activities. And then you can think through what might be a good thing, what might be, feel like a bad thing to you, what might be a limit or a boundary Um, and sort of bring that list with you. Um, so that when you're sitting down and having a negotiation with a potential partner, you can say, hey, 
these are the things that when I was not in like an excited dopamine, oxytocin filled headspace were a limit for me. So these are the limits that I would like to respect today. Um, because I think that when you're in that excited frame of mind, you're more likely to say yes to things that might not um, align with just who you are in a neutral moment. Um, so I definitely recommend starting there. And then, you know, acknowledging and making sure that you establish a safe word. All of these things happen during the negotiation process before play. We Hello. have a surprise for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what all of you couldn't see was me typing furiously in the Zoom chat um, with a number of things that, that Chelsea had uh, brought up, and I was trying to float them in there. Um, so, hi, everybody. This is Josh, your friendly sound guy, uh, and occasional co-host. Um, so, I just uh, I hope you don't mind, Chelsea. I'm going to jump in just a little bit because... Uh, every time that we have a podcast discussion on kink or BDSM, I, I actually get really excited in, um, in not a sexual way because I enjoy talking about it myself. Um, and you hit on a number of things that I, that I wanted to bring up, and I'll start with the, this last one you just talked about, about negotiation and how important it is to remember that you know what you might have been okay with yesterday, you may not be okay with today. And I think that when a lot of... Um, you know, uh, folks who mainly practice what we would call "quote unquote" vanilla sex, um, they kind of look at it like, well, you know, if someone, you know, they discover someone is kinky or something like that, they just think that, you know, this is what they do all the time, and their view might be skewed based on maybe what they saw in in porn or what they saw on, oh, I dare say it, Fifty Shades of Grey um, or something like that. And it, the reality is, is is that this world is very flexible, and you can consent to one thing today and and not consent to tomorrow or you can you can withdraw your consent at any time during that play and i think that's that's really important um for for folks to understand um you also brought up a uh, and i don't mean to completely hog all this I'll, i swear i'm going to give you a minute to talk <laughs> um and that was um when you were talking about um restorative justice and uh humanization of folks and i had i had mentioned in the chat that you know that process um, isn't just a part of the scene. It starts in that negotiation that you are recognizing that the person that you are going to be in a scene with, whether you are the top, the bottom, the dom, the submissive, um, that you are a human and, and you go through that whole process of what you want to do. And, you know, if, if maybe some part of your play is a sense of dehumanization, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, degradation or things like that, you still get to negotiate what that looks like. Um, and that goes all the way through to, to aftercare as well, that, you know, making sure that you are um, not traumatized by what happened or you have a sense to either, you know, rebuild a connection if it's a, if it's a longstanding partner of yours or just, you know, get that physical touch or whatever it is that you might need to come down from that scene. And um, I just wanted to know, so here comes, here comes the question finally. Um, and that is... Um, especially because a lot of your work deals with restorative justice and also um, looking at the, the information we got from the, for the podcast itself. Um, we talk about um, people uh, possibly with disabilities or other types of impairments. Um, how does all of that, the negotiation, the play, the aftercare, how does, how does and you know, maybe even just limitations in general, how does that look like for different types of people who aren't um, like me? And and for the viewers that can't see me, uh, I'm I'm just a white guy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And 
so many different ways that I find exciting. Um, well, I mean, starting with like, I'm neurodivergent, I have autism and ADHD. And so for me, a lot of that negotiation is here's what distraction looks like and things that are okay to do when I'm distracted and things that aren't. Um, and reasons why I might get distracted, but also things like here's what overstimulation might look like for me, or here's, um, you know, why I, I gravitate toward kink often is because, you know, things like bondage, um, like spread the stimulation out throughout my body. So I can't, I don't have to hyper-focus on one particular part of my body feeling a particular like sensation. And so spreading that out kind of makes it less overstimulating. Um, so thinking about things like that as sort of disability justice, not just as like preferences, but like, hey, don't concentrate everything toward one part of my body. Cause that might be, um, that would be disabling for me in certain spaces. Um, but also thinking about people with physical impairments and how you can just how much of a vision there is within the world of kink, within just the world in general for accessibility, thinking about bondage as a way to have people who may not have full control of their limbs, um, who may have like muscular issues um, and thinking about how sort of a comfortable level of restraint might be liberating for them. Um, or, you know, I mean, it, there's a million different different uh, options, I suppose. But I think the biggest thing is acknowledging that like disability and an impairment isn't something that you can always see when you're looking at somebody. So these are questions that, that should be brought up during negotiation. And I, I, I'm talking specifically about negotiation because during negotiation, you also negotiate aftercare. So yes, they'll come up during aftercare, but you should know what aftercare this person is going to need before the play even starts. You're, you're not going to ask them afterwards because an aftercare situation, especially for someone who's neurodivergent, might be, I'm going to go nonverbal after a scene. So we will no longer be able to speak because my aftercare is to allow myself to go nonverbal. Okay, that's something that's good to know, <laughs> especially if you're used to having a check-in and the opposite, your other partner, their whole thing is a conversation and needing to process. So now you have a disconnect there and you have to figure out how to how to navigate that. Um, so thinking about during negotiation, asking people like, okay, so what are your like fundamental access needs? What meds do you have? What allergies do you have? So I don't use something that you're allergic to. What um, like, do you get overstimulated with like scents or something like that so that we don't burn a specific type of candle or, is there, um, like, do you have blood sugar things that I have to think about? And what does that look like as from an outside perspective so that I know to help you? Let's make sure that, like, your inhaler is nearby. <laughs> you know, like, things that are, that feel simple when you're just saying them, but in the moment you might not think of to consider. So, you know, disability justice in this sense, just, it goes, it all goes back to sort of, humanity and humanness being like hey yes we want to negotiate the play but also because we're going into this situation together i also want to have as much information i know about just how to take care of each other yeah i mean you bring up a, a number of great points you know it, as uh someone so so myself i i identify as a top and occasional service top um, there are, and, and I've learned a lot over the years that I've been involved in both the kink and the BDSM community. And one of them has been, you know, asking 
those types of questions, um, you've brought up a number that I've never thought to ask. Um, at one point, I was going to ask you, you know, about being an advocate for yourself. But essentially, you know, in the last couple of minutes here, as you were talking, you kind of defined that that you need to be an advocate for yourself in ways that you can you can bring up things to someone you might be playing with. Um, but I think, you know, especially, you know, for those that who who are acting as a top or a service top or a dom or whatever, that that's kind of taking that that role in in giving whatever it is um that part of that normalization of of understanding all of this is asking those questions because they can be you know uncomfortable for somebody and so you know if if i'm someone who who likes bondage um but i have a mobility issue and so i can't have my shoulder tied in a certain way or i can't be suspended you know i have to let the person i'm i'm playing with know that and I have to take the chance that, you know, they might be like, well, you know, I'm really not comfortable with that because of the way I play. And you know what? That's good because as as a as a rope bottom, you've just saved yourself a lot, a lot of, of problems down the road. And it's, you know, maybe not someone you really wanted to play with anyway because if someone wasn't willing to respect that boundary and still play with you, um, yeah, maybe not a good thing anyway. <laughs> yeah, but also thinking about, you know, you saved your your rigor your rope top the same you know trauma yeah. there is i think there's this myth especially uh amongst new people that doms don't need aftercare and that doms don't need negotiation and that they don't have like they're here to just respect the submissive boundaries and that's it and they are here to respect their submissive boundaries but at the same time they're also here to have their own and very often a boundary is i don't want to hurt you so please tell me what's going on um and so if you don't share those things with, you know, the person that you're playing with, you have the chance, even if, you know, at the end of it, like, yeah, my shoulder kind of hurt. I forgot to tell you that this is an issue. Um, so I'm gonna have to do physical therapy and maybe you're fine with it and maybe you're okay. And it wasn't traumatizing for you. You just realized you forgot to say it, but that can traumatize the person you're playing with because the last thing they wanted to do was hurt you. So thinking about it as advocating for yourself and also respecting the humanity of your top as well. It, it took me a long time to to recognize that as a top, I also needed aftercare. Um, first couple of scenes I did, I was like, yep, I'm good. You know, and then the next day it, it hit me and I'm like, what the hell did I do? <laughs> like, like that felt, you know, it, for me who, I mean, only started out maybe like eight years ago. Um, and before that really um, didn't realize I had such an interest in it. The, the first, you know, one or two scenes, it's like, I can't believe I did that. Like, what was I thinking? You know, how does this person feel? And um, yeah, so everybody, everybody needs some level of aftercare, even if, you know, um, for, for me, I don't need it in the immediate um, after a play, but I definitely need it a couple hours, um, you know, even the next day as so I can process it. So um, that's just something that I know that, that I need and when I need it. So, you know, in the immediate uh, after a scene, I can tend to the aftercare of whoever I just played with and then uh, I don't want to say then worry about myself I should be worrying about myself the entire time really um, but I know that I have a certain window of time that I'm okay and that I'm not <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um, and acknowledging your needs to... oh, I'm sorry you can go oh uh, sorry I think it's more of a during the aftercare at least for for from what I've seen during the aftercare you're still in that mode of pop and of part of not part of the scene but part of the the whole timeline so your timeline ends actually as the top after the aftercare of the sub 
um, at least for Josh, that's that's what I've noticed. So that's why you have that delay of like, oh, you're still in that mode of this is what we negotiated because we negotiated all the way to aftercare. So once aftercare is done, then then you can turn off all, all of that toppy magic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I also think that like acknowledging that there's a delay, you know, even if you're not in, I like toppy magic. I've heard top space, but that feels better. Um, <laughs> even if you're not in, you know, that headspace, just sometimes people just need a delay. Sometimes things happen and I'm just like, that's going to be annoying later. <laughs> and you just know that about yourself. And, you yeah. know, that's something to tell, to tell someone you're playing with like, Hey, can you check in with me in like 24 to 48 hours because I feel like that's when I'm gonna need a text to remind me that I'm that I'm good that I'm uh, that I'm okay um right so yeah yeah and I think for beginners um negotiation can be a very scary preposition because it sounds like you're walking into a dealership to try to buy a used car uh, but it's definitely not like that you can you can make it I won't say fun but non-pressure and you can make it a, into a conversation just like the one that we're having and it doesn't have to be the structure um i would want this and very um transactional it could be a fun conversation where you say hey i want to experience this and by the way these are all the things my my not my medical history but all the the relevant things that are part of my body and my mind that you need to be aware of. Um, and the way that I see it in my mind is I'm going to be in quotation marks trapped in a island with this person and I need them to keep me alive. Uh, so I imagine Gilligan's Island style thoughts. It's like, what do I want with me at Gilligan's Island for the next hour or three? And that's where I go through my checklist of like, oh, I need my inhaler. I need chocolate nearby. I need this type of music or I need not music to be around, stuff like that. Um, so that's part of what you think about in the negotiation and obviously the play part, but that is very dependent on why you're there. Yeah, definitely. And those being things that like work for any space, like, if I had to go anywhere for three hours, let's say, just because that was the number that popped into my head, <laughs> I would think, okay, I've got phone wallet keys. And if I ha had an inhaler, I would probably bring it. And if I had this, I would probably bring it. So thinking about like, okay, I'm going into this situation for this potential amount of time. What does my body need? What does my mind need? Um, and treating it like a high stress situation. Like what do I need directly after something that would be potentially a high stress situation, even if your play doesn't involve power dynamics or stress or anything like that. Cause it at the very least involves chemicals <laughs> that are going to be going off in your brain. And so how do you take care of your, of yourself? I think one thing, I, especially for, for folks that might be new into this, you know, whether they're going to a uh, dungeon space or even if it's within, you know, their own home or someone's home or some other space, if you will, um, I, I always bring a kit with me and, and the kit has everything, you know, not just to, um, perform a scene, um, but also take safety in mind. 
So, you know, if I know, you know, maybe I'm not, and some people kind of, they might laugh at me every once in a while. So when I play, even if I'm not doing, say, rope bondage, I still have a pair pair of um, shears on me because I may not need them, but the group next to me playing that never thought about it might need them. Um, I carry more than one handcuff key um, because some people don't think about that sometimes. you know, so that's, uh, you know, having a kit and, and the things in it that you know that you might need, but maybe somebody else might need too, um, and it could possibly save someone from a lot of uh, pain. Yeah. Including a first aid and, kit and sometimes. I was just going to say yeah. that. And a first aid kit that includes something to cool somebody down because they got too hot and they almost passed out. That never happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, but it's interesting because there's like a crossover between that and like intimacy coordination, for example, because often people ask me, like I have this big backpack and a bunch of pillows and stuff that I bring to set every time I'm doing intimacy coordination. And they're just like, what could possibly be in there for this, (laughs) for the purposes of what you're doing here? (laughs) And I'm like, first aid kit, honey sticks, every kind of tape I could possibly think of on this planet. Um, Like I have trauma shears which are rope shears i have i have essentially a a lot of the same things there are some more specific things that you would have in like a a kink kit that is different obviously unless i was doing a scene about kink in which case i highly doubt that especially if we're if we're doing it for the purposes of film that someone would bring an extra handcuff key um so you know things that are that are similar mindsets um well, you have the, you have the added benefit, uh, according to your bio here, and and I can relate to this as well. That you're a first responder. Um, I used to be an EMT. I gave up my license a number of years ago. So our minds can be in very different places um, as we think of all of the things that could go wrong. Uh, so that might that might also help um, when we're thinking yeah. about those things, and other people may not be. Because um, one thing I also do, you know, like some people might just be inclined to, you know, run to the, the nearest sex shop and just buy whatever's there without doing a little bit of research. And, you know, there are some good things that you can find at a sex shop um, to help you in your kink journey. Certainly, we, you know, I've started there. And as I've learned, I've either upgraded it or got rid of it if I felt it was unsafe. Um, you know, I can't go into a hardware store now um, without thinking of all the deviant things I can do with, with, with things in the aisles. Um, but I mean, some of the best things I, I've bought for, you know, for uh, bondage play and for restraints have been um, quick release clips that, you know, I know that, you know, I can always undo with that with one hand. Um, and when I'm using them, one of the parts of the scene that I always do is I make sure whoever I'm playing with can reach them if something happens to me. So they're basically just quick break rays. They can reach up and I always position them in a way that they can just pull down or up depending on where it is on their body um, so they can free themselves if something were to happen to me. Yeah, quick release clips is a great idea. Um, I also gave my license a number of years ago, but after that I started doing circus rigging. And so now anything I use, like carabiners or anything like that to, to do any sort of bondage is like circus grade i'm like why not just spend an extra ten dollars and get um a carabiner that definitely is not going to (laughs) break no matter what you no matter what you do to it um vaguely and yeah (laughs) like my brain couldn't (laughs) let me finish that sentence i was like okay everything can break um (laughs) but yeah it's like things like that that you wouldn't really think about um are so crucial 
I think, to keep in mind. Um, because you never know when you're going to be in, in that situation. Again, thinking about if something happens to you, um, my first thought, and when I taught the kink safety course for SHIP, I said that the, the number one issue or the number one danger for bondage is falling, people just falling and hurting themselves and not being able to brace, brace themselves. So thinking about, well, okay, we're not you know suspending someone very high, but then something happens to me and all they have is their quick release, like that quick release is going to make them fall. So now there should be a mat or something under them to like make sure that that can or like just anything vaguely soft <laughs> or, or something they can like push under themselves like uh yeah just things that that you never want to have to use but are really easy to just put in place um just in case something like that happens yeah another thing that i that i've uh i've started well i haven't started i've been doing it for a while now um and that is um to get a baseline on the person's uh, physical state, if you will. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, you know, some, some people might listen to this and be like, oh, BDSM, let's hear about all the sexy, kinky stuff, you know, that we could do. Um, but a lot of what we're talking about doesn't sound that sexy, but I've discovered that you can make it so. Um, so one of the things I do, uh, especially with the restraint play, uh, and this is going to probably sound very familiar uh, to you, Chelsea, is I get a person's, uh, you know, as I'm like, you know, touching their hands or their feet, I start checking for, you know, how does it feel? Is it is it warm? Is it cold? Uh, even going so far as to checking pulses um, while I'm, you know, rigging them up or restraining them, just so I know down the road when I go to check in with them, you know, and making it as a part of the scene where I go and touch their hands again, are their hands getting colder if they started out warm? Um, are they entering, you know, a subspace? And I know a lot of people put subspace up on this pedestal like as a place that they really want to get to. Um, but I've discovered that the reality of that is it can also be a very dangerous place uh, for a sub to be. So, you know, how, do, how, is their, how is their pulse rate changing based on what's going on? Um, or even if, you know, I've tied something too tight and now they don't have a pulse in their extremity, and that's a problem too. Um, but if you practice that and, and you can incorporate that as a part of your play, it becomes very sexy. Yes, um, I very much agree. At the very base level, I think it's easy to to get a baseline pulse. Like especially if you're doing bondage, I think it is that is like the most simple thing in my opinion to make sexy is to get somebody's pulse and just say your heart is racing. Cool. Call it a day. Everyone's gonna be fine <laughs> with you saying that. But at least now you know how their pulse feels. Cause also like thinking about bigger bodies, thinking about disabled bodies, like that is not going to feel the same on every type of body based on just how things are situated inside of them so you know if they're if the first thing that people think of who are not first responders is i'm going to check to make sure this person has a pulse <laughs> then you need to know what it was like beforehand um to know if there's been any change yeah and and that's why i also I, and i'll stress it too is that you practice this yes <laughs> uh that 100%. way that way you you know what you know uh what it feels like on on someone who's not tied up someone who's not you know, uh, hanging from a suspension rig or, or whatever else. Um, and especially for people with, with very different bodies, um, you know, it's uh, it can be difficult sometimes to, to find what it is you're looking for. Um, so, you know, don't just practice on, you know, the same person you see every day. And I, I don't mean just walk up to strangers on the street and be like, I need to feel your <laughs> pulse. But, you know, if, if you've got some really chill friends, just be like, hey, I, I'm trying something, you know, do you mind? And if they consent, um, Give it a whirl. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I'm sorry. I just picture you walking up to strangers and going like, hey, I want to learn how to take a pulse. Like, can I take your pulse? I mean, if you ever walked through a medical campus, <laughs> then <laughs> that is... you realize that that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but talking a little bit about, and not a little bit, a lot bit about uh, safety in kink, what are the most common questions you get on your workshops about safety concerns? That's a good question. Um, I think the most common questions I get are usually the ones that like the safety concerns that have sort of trickled out into mainstream media already, which is like people want to know a lot more about like nerve damage and and tying things too tight. Um, and usually like when I do workshops, I go over like here is the basics, basic areas that you want to like just be aware of if you're brand new to this. Um, but the, the amount of time that it would take to go over every nerve in the human body and, and where they're located and, how, and where they're accessed and how nerve damage works, um, that's something you really do should do extensive research in on your own and think about it in terms of your own body and think about it in terms of your partner's bodies. Um, especially if the person you're working with has, or you're playing with has an impairment that has to do with um, their nerves or has to do with any loss of feeling or chronic pain if their nerves are overactive um thinking about how that might like hide any issues that's happening in their in their bodies so i shy away from going super super in depth because then i think people leave thinking like all right i'm an expert on the nervous system <laughs> when <laughs> i am not an expert on the nervous system um i don't know who is but i'm sure they're a lot smarter than me in that particular <laughs> field um so yeah, just that's a common question and I always answer with do some research. Um, I can answer some of your questions right now, but please, please keep doing research. Um, other things, people don't really ask me safety questions. They ask me often um, like, okay, but what happens if I fail? What happens if I don't do this? What should I have in my first aid kit? Which, which is, I think, a great question to ask because it's like we're going to make mistakes and we're going to forget things um and again my answer is usually just like have a first aid kit and know where it is um have an exit plan know where your exits are think about natural disasters think about you know all of those things they make you do in like school <laughs> when they're just like this is how you get out if this happens and this is where our nurses office are like just have that sort of built into your plan and you've already gone so so far you've already done so much prep work um and then if there's something that comes up or that you're curious about just take the time to do that research before you begin the scene yeah that that's a, a really good point and um if you're curious about what to do up in disasters uh you can go into the uh what's the government website that you can go to for disasters ready.gov yeah, that one. Um, but if you need ideas of what I have no idea what to do in the snowstorm, because 10 years ago, I had no idea. You you start there. So um, that would be a good resource to get ideas of what questions to ask. But what specific kink resources would you recommend people to start looking into if they're thinking about diving into kink? <laughs> um. That's a good question. And 
I think that there are a lot of, I think I would talk to a kink educator that specializes in the things that you're interested in, honestly. Um, there are a lot of resources online that you can look that you can look up, but I think that the most valuable information you can find is someone who sort of specializes in the type of kink play that you're interested in because it's such a broad spectrum of things. I mean, going and getting CPR certified is like a solid start, but like just because, just because that's information about the human body and how it works and what happens if something goes wrong. Um, but specific resources, you know, go on, I, I always shy away from saying going on Instagram, but do go on Instagram. There's people like Blackson and the Kink Educator um, that specifically talk about, you know, kink safety and different aspects of like different power dynamics. Um, talking to a sex educator who specializes in kink um, who actually has like some research and some credentialing that sort of backs or some lived experience as well um, that backs the information that they have. If you're interested specifically about like disability, um, talking to or reading books from sexuality educators that focus on disability. So there's like Corey Silverberg and uh, Bianca Loriano who talks about disability justice. Um, things like people who specialize in the thing that you're specifically asking questions about. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good start. Um, another one that I would suggest um, to add to your list, um, if you're curious about the kink community in your area, try to find munches or slushes mm -hmm. that are happening in your area because you'll, you'll be connected with people in the community and that's where you'll find your your local experts um, on whatever it is. Um, I would say stay stay off of FedLife or stay off of your yeah. inbox of FedLife. Although it's a good place to find where events are happening, but the rest of FedLife is just a dumpster fire. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think, yeah, looking up FedLife events and seeing where there's like munches and things happening, that's great. But yes, yeah, stay out of your inbox. Um, I think is good advice for sure. Um, there's also like, there's local routes to local dungeons. Um, if you're in a bigger city, it's so much easier because the, these dungeons have Instagrams and websites. Um, whereas if you're in a smaller or more conservative area, that might not be the case. Um, but sex, sex toy stores, especially ones that hold like classes and things, they have educators who tend to be connected to the community. It's a very small group of us trying, just doing this work in this world. So that's also a good, a good uh, resource to walk into your local like sex shop, ask if they have an educator and see what local uh, resources you have. Right, and yeah, the, the, the internet is, it can be a scary place, but trying to see the, the credentials of the people that you're taking advice from and see if they are an expert on, of that area will be very important. But it is a good place to find experts like the ones that you mentioned on, on Instagram. Um, I doubt there's any on Facebook. I doubt there's anyone left on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if they are on Facebook, they're also on Instagram. So just, uh, I would head that way. <laughs> if, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and books there's millions and millions of books um on any part of kink that you're interested in, in looking into and a lot of books on 
negotiations, a lot of book on restorative justice that you can apply mm-hmm. in your kink play as well. Um, so getting creative on the topic, not all the topics that you want to learn about are kink specific, but can be applied to kink. Yeah. Um, so those are also really good ones. I also recommend, especially if you're going into your first like power dynamic or dom sub relationship that's more long term, to do research into attachment styles. Um, just because power and kink can just add so much to um, attachment or too much, so much to a connection. So just understanding how you connect with people and how that shows up in different parts of your life, in different relationships outside of just romantic relationships. Um, and a book I recommend for that is Polysecure because it ta- it's about non-monogamy. And so it's, it's applicable to understanding that you can uh, attached to different people in different ways. Um, You can have insecure attachment to one person in one relationship while simultaneously having secure attachment in another. You can have insecure attachment in a friendship and secure attachment in a relationship. Um, And yes, that being that, and then also all the books on kink that exist, like the new topping and the new bottoming book and playing well with others and all of the wonderful books that exist specifically on kink. Yeah, and if you need more resources, you can look up uh, SHIP and we can definitely help you out finding resources, especially in the in the New England area. Um, sorry for the shameless plug, but I had to do it. <laughs> All right, so um, we're at the top of the hour. So that means it's time for our not so famous, but little famous section um, called the hot seat. Um, so I will, the hot seat is a group of fun questions that I'll send you that are quick answers and that have nothing to do with the topic that we were just talking about. Um, (laughs) and just first thing that comes to mind, they're all very innocuous and innocent, um, but they're a little bit fun and it's a way to get to know you. Uh, so, uh, without further ado, I have drum sets in my head and the first question is Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Always Coke. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Um, I don't know if people know what Jenny's ice cream is, but they specifically have an ooey gooey butter cake flavor. Ooh. It's it's like buttercream and with cake pieces in it. That whatever that is, that that sounds delicious. Um, who is the best Marvel character? Doctor Strange. Or any of the X-Men. Yes. I I like that. Um, I never think of the X-Men as MCU and I, and I forget that they are. (laughs) Yeah. I also like secretly hate the MCU. So I'm like the two that that feel like DC comics. Those are the ones. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, so the next one is fun. Uh, wrong answer only. Why is there fuss on a tennis ball? <laughs> okay. Um, because you know how like when you like walk by someone, sometimes you get shocked, right? Yeah. So tennis balls like were chilling in a bag and they like saw that happening to other people and they're like, well, humans are dumb. What if they just like evolved better? And so they decided to evolve with fuzz. And now they're just happy, living their life, bouncing on things, not getting shocked. 
that is the best answer we've gotten on this question ever. We may need to retire the question. That is, there will not be an answer jump in that one. Thank you. Very nice. Um, and last question. Uh, what sound does a fox make? Um, that one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well timed. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a very nice conversation. Um, and thank you for Josh to jumping in the, the call halfway through. Um, he couldn't type quick enough for us. <laughs> uh, no problem. So before you, before you go, where can people find you and find more about your upcoming workshops and whatnot? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram at mxcmorgan, um, which stands for Mix C Morgan. It's my name. Um, or on my website at mxcmorgan.com. Um, I have a bunch of new sections of workshops coming up on like trauma responsive uh, principles for sexuality educators, on justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and on some kink and intimacy coordination related topics. Those are all coming up and gonna be announced soon. So uh, stay tuned. All right, awesome. Uh, so everyone go find Morgan and they're very cool and very awesome to talk to. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hey everyone. SHIP will never stop creating spaces that provide opportunities to engage in candid, shame-free conversations about sexuality. And we are committed to building a more sexually literate society so that more of these spaces can exist. In order to do that, we need your help. Consider joining the Sex Ed Squad by visiting weknowship.org. Our Sex Ed Squad members are the very foundation of our work because changing our sex-negative culture requires a long-term strategy in your long-term investment. All gifts, no matter the size, have an impact. You've been listening to Virgin Territory, a podcast by SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality, education, therapy, and professional training to adults. You can visit us online at weknowship.org.